Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 223, where we interview Dee Oliteru from The Rich Immigrant and hear her journey with money. And I think people see me today and don't believe that part of my story, but I think it's such a rich part of my story. And I think we think about money and financial independence. And I, and I say, don't be afraid to start small. I mean, start where you are with what you have. And that makes such a big difference. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my graduate of the fine institution of Vanderbilt University, co-host Scott Trench. That opens a whole bunch of doors to Vanderbilt <laughs> puns there. <laughs> that 14 people. You really need to you really need to get that you know, <laughs> Vanderbilt's mascot in order to get there. Yeah. I'd- Shout out to all the, the Vanderbilt fans out there. Yeah. Fortunately, everybody who works at Bigger Pockets went to Vandy. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for absolutely everyone, no matter where or when you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and really travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Today, we talk to Dee Oliteru from The Rich Immigrant about her journey with money. Dee graduated from college in 2008, which is, you know, not the best time to ever graduate, took a job outside of her field of study, and then went on to get her degree in her master's degree. She has since traveled the world and just enjoys a super rich life while investing, making mistakes, and recovering from those mistakes to continue on her journey. She's probably going to retire within the next 10 years or so, but the opportunities open to her are so vast simply because she is conscious of her money. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot like her story, you know, she she was an immigrant, but there's nothing unrepeatable about Dee's story other than hard work, discipline, basic values around money. And look, she's going to retire in the next seven to 10 years, and she's already hit 56 countries uh, uh, around the world as a, as a tourist and, and, and someone traveling there. And I think that that's really cool and something very special. And I think, you know, there's a lot to just learn from the simple approach that she takes to managing her wealth and moving towards fire. Yes. And really, the simple path to wealth has mm-hmm. not only has that played a big part in her journey, but it's also her journey is a simple path to wealth. And she's got so many things opening up for her. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dee Oliteru from The Rich Immigrant. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to be here. I love your story. Where does your journey with money begin? Ah, I, I'll say it starts in two parts, right? So the first part, I would say like anybody, it's influenced by my family, where I was raised. And I was raised in Lagos, Nigeria. And while my parents never told me anything specifically about money, I observed what they did. You know, my dad was the first person I ever saw had a big notebook where he tracked his expenses. Uh, my mom, not so much. She didn't track anything. Um, and that was all well and good. But then I observed my mom be just a very generous person. And then I came to America at the age of 16. And I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and I went through college, had credit cards, still didn't know what I was getting into financially. And then I graduated. And I did not have a job. And then it hit me, you know, because adulting will hit you, you know, like a ton of bricks. And I was like, wait, what's going on? I have debt. I don't have a job. I have good grades. What happens? Um, that's when I really started to dig in and start to learn about, you know, paying off debt, credit cards and all of that. And so that triggered my financial really awareness. So what was your position at graduation? Did you have student loan debt? Did you what, what was the what was the situation there? Yeah. Did so, you get a job? OK, so I. I couldn't have student loan debt because I wasn't an American, so I didn't qualify for student loans. I would have loved to have student loans. Um, and so really paying for college was my parents saving, um, sometimes borrowing money in Nigeria, my sister donating, me working through college, um, applying for every scholarship under the sun. Um, but even with that, I still had, I had credit card debt because sometimes all I, I could only pay for food with a credit card. Um, and, and so I had... Um, about, you know, 12,000 in debt at the time I finished undergrad, I would still go on to get more debt. Um, uh, but at the time I graduated, I had $10,000 in debt. I had my last semester's tuition to pay off. Um, and I needed to pay that myself. Um, and so I, I took a job in a factory. Um, that's what I did to, to start to, you know, find my own financial path. What did you, what did you study in college and where'd you go? Yeah, I went to a smaller school in Minnesota called Winona State University. Um, and I studied accounting and business administration. Okay. And what's the factory? And how, how you said you didn't have a job after graduation. How long did, yeah, yeah, after graduation, did you take this job? 
Yeah. So within a month, I mean, because I was like, I have bills to pay and I'm not one to. And I think, you know, I think many immigrants are in this position. I'm going to do what I need to do to do, you know, to pay my bills. And so um, I had a boyfriend at the time who knew someone that ran this um, light fixtures factory. And um, I said, can I get a job for ten dollars an hour? And they said yes. And so I took my summa cum laude degree (laughs) and I went to a, a factory floor. And I worked for $10 an hour and I did overtime and I made like fixtures and I made my first budget. All right. And so what, what happened? Go, go ahead, Mindy. You're about to say I was going to say, I love that. I have a degree in accounting and business administration, but I can't find a job. So I'm going to go out and get this job that isn't glamorous. It isn't like I bet in a factory you worked a whole lot harder physically than you do now in your cushy accounting job, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had strong arms. I mean, you know, (laughs) I developed strong arms working in a factory. And and I think people see me today and don't believe that part of my story. But I think it's such a rich part of my story. And I think we think about money and financial independence. and And I say, don't be afraid to start small. I mean, start where you are with what you have. And that makes such a big difference. Yes. Okay, sorry, I'm jumping in here. Okay. So you're working at the light fixture factory. You're not making very much money, but you're taking overtime. Where are you living? Yeah. So I kept living as a college. I stayed in my college town. And so I was renting a room with roommates. So that also kept costs low. Um, And I also made a promise that I would not, you know, put things on my credit card if I didn't have to. And so, you know, I made my first budget on a pen and paper and I made a plan to start paying off the debt bit by bit. But I was living with roommates at the time and renting a room. So how long does this continue for? Yeah, so this goes on for about a year. And in that time, I'm coming up with plan B, right? Because that's what you do. I said, okay, what's the next step? What, how can I position myself, right? Because sometimes you you have the skills, which is what I had. I had the skills, I had the good grades, but I wasn't positioned to get a job in my degree that would sponsor me for a work visa. And that's what I needed. And so I started also in the evenings, um, studying for my GMAT to apply to grad school. And so that's what I did. And so it took a year to, you know, continue working at the factory. That factory job allowed me to go home to Nigeria for my sister's wedding. I could pay for my ticket. Um, and I had a whole year working in the factory. And then I applied for to grad school. And then I went back to grad school to get a master's degree. Now, how, were you able to pay off any of the debt during yeah, that year? I, yes, I paid down some of that credit card debt during that year, right? And I also paid for my applications to grad school. I was able to go home for my sister's wedding, but I did not pay off all of my debt in that time just because $10 an hour, there's only so much you can do. And I always want to give space for people knowing that, you know, it's okay if you can pay $10,000 in one month, that's great. But if you can pay what you can and do the best you can where you are, I think that that makes a difference. So what was your day-to-day like during that year? Yeah, it would be, you know, I, would, I needed to be at work at 7 a.m., right? So I was working 7 to 5. And sometimes, you know, if there's more overtime, I would work more. Um, so I'd go to work at 7. And then in the evenings, I was studying for my GMAT, also writing essays and all of that to, to get into grad school. Um, that was what that year was like. And I was also still applying to jobs. I will say, I mean, I, I tracked, I got more than 500 rejections in that year. So what I was- year is this? This is, I graduated in um, May of 20, 2007. And so it was May 2007 to June 2008. I went back to grad school in the summer of 2008. So you, it was, the market was really bad during this time is what I want to point out. That, that was unusual, but you just kept persevering and paying off debt and grinding and having what seems like 
60, 70 hour weeks <laughs> when you factor in your studying and your GMAT um, uh, preparation in addition to the overtime you're working at your job. Yeah, that, yeah. when you put it that way, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, so what happens at grad school? How did you pay for grad school? Did you continue to work through grad school? What are you studying in grad school? Yes. Okay. So um, grad school, I applied to, I did, a, I mean, I had to be strategic, right? Because I'm on my own. My family is not supporting me for grad school. Undergrad was tough enough. Um, so I applied to programs. I applied to the best accounting programs in the country, in the U.S., right? And I also applied for scholarships. And thankfully, I got a full ride to the University of Illinois' Master's of Accounting program. Um, and of course, I, I mean, I always worked. I worked, you know, while I was on campus and all of that. So I always had a part-time job while I was on campus, but I got a full scholarship uh, because of my grades and leadership in my undergrad. Um, That's awesome. So you graduate with a degree, with a master's degree. Yes. In accounting. Yeah, in accounting and finance. Yes. In how long is a master's? Two years. So this was a what? year. It was a year. So I also went for a shorter program. So it was like the summer of 2008, and then the full um, fall and and summer and spring, and then I graduated in May of 2009. Okay, so now we have some debt left over from the credit cards, but no new debt. No new debt. Well, then I then I got a job. I got a job. That's a good story. You know, like things things start to turn around. I got a job at a professional service services firm, one of the big four accounting firms. Um, and so I got a full time job in, as an associate. And for that job, I would need a car, and so I had to take a car loan, right? And so that brought my debt back to about twenty three thousand dollars. Okay. And what uh, what area of the world are you living in with this job? Um, Minneapolis in the U.S. Okay. What, what were you able to pay down debt while in grad school while working with the part-time job or, or was it? No, the part-time job was helping me with like, you know, my daily expenses and all that. So really my, my, the, this, the rate at which I could pay down my debt had to slow down while I was in grad school. But then once I got that full-time job, then I attacked my debt and paid it off in two years. Yeah. So how, how much debt do you have on graduating grad school? Yeah, after grad school and getting the car loan, it was about $23,000. Okay, and how much was the car incremental? So the car was maybe 10000 10, So yeah, I had about 13000 in debt and then 10000 So about it was 23000 Yeah. So you purchased a very reasonable vehicle that yes. you needed to have for your job. That's <laughs> yes. what I'm getting at from this. Correct. It wasn't like a, a, a $25,000 car no, purchase. No, 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 no. Okay, great. So, so what you're, you, what, what happens next now that you've got the job and the car and, and the new situation in Minneapolis? So I got a job, I got the car. So I go back to my budget, right? This time my budgets have gone from being on paper to being in Excel, right? We're getting fancy here. Um, and at that time I Congrats, made a debt payoff plan. Yes. <laughs> um, I did, I made a plan to pay off my debt. And then, you know, at the time, I think I didn't mention at the beginning, you know, you know, when I was in that factory and I saw my debt and I saw the bills I had to pay and I first created my first budget, you know, no one in my world was talking about it, right? I didn't even tell my friends that I felt overwhelmed by everything I had going on. And so I ended up finding personal finance blogs. That's really where I found, started to find a way. So I, some blogs from like, you know, however many years ago, um, is where I saw how to budget and I read about 401ks. And so when I graduated, I had my full-time job I went back to what I'd learned, you know, two years before and says, okay, put 
you know, enough to get your match in your 401k. And that's how I got started and opened an IRA. And I opened an IRA. I could only do $50 a month, but that's what I did. So I think those foundational, seemingly simple things, people weren't talking about it in my world. And my a lot of my friends are also immigrants. It's just not conversations we have. And I think that the lack of conversations around money is costing us, it, it's so expensive, right? The, the ignorance is expensive. It's costing us time. It's costing us generational wealth. It's costing us opportunities. It's costing us the lives that we could live. And so when I got that, when I got my job, I at least started to do what I'd read about all those years ago. Um, and that's how I started to, you know, I paid off my debt. You know, I started building my my retirement portfolio. Um, yeah. And so how, what, what, when does this kind of uh, change begin? Is it like right as you start the new job or, or how, how, long, how much time passes here? Yeah, right as I start the new job, I knew I wanted to pay off debt because while my parents didn't tell me anything about financial education, you know, they also didn't live above their means and they didn't borrow, you know, money unnecessarily. So in my mind, I was always like, you know, didn't like debt. I didn't like feeling like I owed something. And so I was personally motivated to pay off that debt. And I started putting money in my 401k right away because all those blogs told me to do it. And so I just did it. <laughs> so here's a question. Is it, it clearly the 401k is available, not just to U.S. citizens. It's available to anyone who has U.S. income or anybody who has like, well, the four in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- I think that's important to note. Is that uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding ignorant because I am ignorant, so I don't know. But is that like well known in the in in the immig- immigrant community? I think I think you know your company offers you the four hundred one k right, and so then you know you may or may not opt in, but it may sound like you know I think growing up my parents were always begun okay real estate. You know, because, you know, like the stock market in Nigeria never really did well in my parents' time. So they trust the stock. They don't really trust the stock market. Right. And so I think that that uh, mindset can sometimes, you know, permeate the immigrant community because it's like I'm throwing my money into something that I don't know about. And so I think just it would even help if people just had conversations to say, here's what the 401k is. Here is why you should at least contribute to get the match, because you're walking away from free money. And also ground people in the history of the stock market to say, here's how the stock market has done over the last, you know, century, right? And this is why it's an okay place for you to put your money and for you to start your investing journey that way. When I think about like IRAs, I think because that, I think that requires even more independent research. I think many people are just not aware about the IRA. People might hear about the 401k if their employers offer, but the IRAs and even like for, for entrepreneurs, like, you know, solo 401ks and all that stuff, I find many of my friends don't even know about these um, vehicles. Yeah. And I don't think that that is uh, exclusive to the immigrant community. I think in general, people just aren't aware the stock market is scary and I don't know how to invest in stocks. I don't know anything about it. So I'm just not going to do it. Or they, you know, they think about it. They say something to a friend who isn't very experienced and they say, oh, I lost all my money in the stock market. I have a friend who's 60 years old and he got super burned. I don't know if he put his money in like the day it crashed in 1987. He has never put any money in the stock market ever again. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're you're losing all this growth, but you know yeah. his experience is so terrifying to him that he won't put any more money in. And you know, I don't think that's just 
the limited to people who didn't grow up here. I think it's everybody. It's it's a scary thing. So where did you learn about 401ks? Do you remember the name of the blog that taught you? Or like, did you talk to your HR department? I think there's a lot of value in, in, you know, talking to your HR department. But again, like, they're not always the most knowledgeable. I can't remember the specific blogs. I think there was one about... There was one written by a girl that loved like shoes and I loved shoes. So I liked reading her blog. And it was another, guy, <laughs> another guy, like he was based in, he was like punch debt in the face. Yes. There was one guy called punch debt. Punch debt in the face. Yes. Way back when I, there was, there was, there was him. Um, at some point I watched a um, Suze Orman show. Um, I, yeah, you know, so I, 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 I listened to her at some point, not as much anymore, but I think I think, you know, many times, you know, I, I don't necessarily follow like one financial guru, but I think there are bits that we can pick from everybody. So it's like a buffet. You know, when you go to a buffet, you don't eat everything, but take what serves you and leave the rest. Right. Um, and so, yes, I started with, you know, those blogs and I didn't really I didn't talk to HR. And so I, then I got into a point where I was just kind of coasting. Right. I was doing, you know, whenever I would get a raise, I would put a you know two percent. I'll take my raise and increase my 401k contribution. But I realized that I wasn't really growing in my financial knowledge. So I feel like that can happen too, where you get to a point where you're, you've paid off your debt, you're coasting, but you're not putting your money to work for you, for you as well as it should. And I think that happened to me. Ooh. So what happened next? <laughs> well, the year was 2014 and I decided, you know, I've been increasing my 401k every year and I've now maxed out my IRA every year. But then, you know, maybe I should look into investing in the stock market and all that stuff. And so, first of all, rookie mistake, I thought you needed thousands of dollars to have a brokerage account. So I waited till I saved $5,000. And so I I saved up that much. And then I said, okay, I'm going to open a brokerage account. And so I opened it and then I put $5,000 in there. And then I froze. Because, you know, I'd done the 401k, used target date funds, and I was comfortable with that. But I didn't have the knowledge to decide what was I going to invest in, you know, index funds, all of that stuff. The other day, I found a spreadsheet because I'm analytical in nature, where I was going through a couple of different mutual funds in 2014, and I never made a decision. So I froze. And that $5,000 sat in that account until 2018, right? It just sat there. I never invested it. Not invested in anything. It was like a bank account that paid 0%. Yes. And so so they actually closed the account for me. I went to the UK for work and I came back after two years. And then I decided I'm done with being, you know, just, you know, just passive about this. And so, yeah, they had closed my account. They sent me a check for $5,000 and three (laughs) cents. And that's the money I'd made in those four years. And then I decided to, okay, start, you know, putting more money. I opened a brokerage with Fidelity. Um, start investing in stocks and index funds. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. 
Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So you graduated from grad school in 2010, right? 2009. 2009. 2009. Yes. And so five years later, what, what's your position? You said you were in 2014 here mm-hmm. and you decided to open the brokerage account. 
what, yep. what's the rest of your position? You, you have a lot of large amount of IRAs. Like what, what else is going on in your financial Yeah. Position? Yeah. So How at that, that time, you know, I had no debts. I had IRA that I've been maxing out, you know, since 2012 is when I started maxing out my Roth IRA. And then what my 401k, every time I got a raise, I put most of that raise to right to us increasing my, my, my um, 401k contribution. So I think at that time I was putting 15% of my income in my 401k and maxing out my IRA. Okay, great. And do you have an emergency fund as well? Yes, yes, yes. So early on, I, 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 th- I think I started with about a six-month emergency fund. Yeah. Now today, I'm at a three-month just because I feel comfortable with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, great. So, so what happens? What happens from here? And and what, what happens between 2014 and 2018? Do you continue investing, or or does any you know in in the IRAs like that, or do you do you do other types of investing? And- yeah. So between 2014 and 2018, so yes, I continued. I had the 5,000 for the brokerage that I put in a brokerage and did nothing with, but I continued to do my Roth IRA and then my 401k. And then an opportunity came up for me to move abroad for work. And so I moved to Scotland, right? And when you're outside the US, you can't really do a 401k because you're not earning income in, in the US. Um, so there was a pause on that, but I still maxed out my, my IRA in that time. Um, and then when I came back to the US, um, then I went, you know, I sped it up right in 2018 when I returned to the U.S. And what was your wealth position in 2018, and when you were returning from from Scotland? Wealth, as in how much did I have, or yeah, yeah. What what what, what do you have at that point? You're not you're you're you're. I imagine you're continuing to to bring in more than you spend. How are you allocating yes. that? Yes. So I think yeah, and of course I took I took a pay cut to go to the UK. That's another thing people don't expect. So coming back making US dollars, I was very excited, and I came back in June 2018. But I will say, you know, the decisions I made in the years from 2009 to 2014 positioned me to be able to even take a pay cut to live abroad. Um, but then in coming back, I was going to go, you know, full on. So 2018, I came back in half a year, maxed out my 401k, maxed out my IRA. And every year since then, maxing out both um, vehicles. Awesome. Now, what is your position? How, how, do think, how do things progress from 2018, I guess, from there? What's the... What, is is you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is like, oh, yeah, I paid off my debt. I kind of moved these things forward with that, um, with this. But you, what what was the goal? Like, have, have yeah. did, did things oh, change? Was there an inflection point moment um, with yeah. this where you began like really grinding it out, or how did that work for you? Yeah. So I've always been a person that, I, and if you ask me, you know, even when I started my career, I always said, you know, I want to retire at the age of fifty. I didn't know there was a term for it called fire, um, but I always wanted to design my life in a way that works for me, right? Um, and so now I know it's called fire. It was actually when I was abroad, I really looked more into the fire movement and understood what that was. But really, the driver is me deciding, well, you know, if I want to retire early, what do I need to do now to position myself for the future? Right. I think that that for me was the inflection point is saying, okay, here's the life that I know I want to live. What decisions do I need to make now so that my future self will be proud of me? And when is that decision point reached? I would say 2018 on my return is when I made a decision to start actively putting things in place um, to to make that happen. Um, and so, yes, I always said I wanted to retire at the age of 50. Now I would say at 45, right? <laughs> so it's, 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 it's come closer. Um, and, and I'm one that enjoys working. I enjoy what I do. I want to contribute to my community. And so for me, it's not that I'm running away from something. It's just um, being able to have control over what I do with my time and to be work optional. That's the goal, to be able to spend the time 
um, with the people that matter the most, be able to have the resources and not, not have money be a deciding factor. I think, and that freedom for me, that that's important. Okay. So, so what happens, what happens, what's your position when you return? What, what's kind of your net worth or, or, around there? And how does that accelerate in the, in the years following 2018? Yeah, I don't know that I have my exact net worth in net worth from like 2018, but I know that, you know, from then on to now in maxing out those vehicles, I would say my net worth has, I think I hit six figures in my 401k when I, I saw that I hit that when I came back and it's, it's, it's more than doubled, you know, since then. Right. And, you know, I have that brokerage account where now every month I'm putting money into index funds and every couple of months, you know, I'm buying some, you know, individual stocks. Right. And so, you know, I think you know, looking at my fire calculator, you know, I'm on track to retiring in, 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 you know, in the next nine years, right. If I continue to do things that I, that I'm doing now, um, and knowing that at that point, you know, I don't know what my work situation will look like, but I'll have the option to do that. The option. I love that. I'll have the option, not the obligation to retire, but I will have the option to retire. If I choose, it sounds like you enjoy your job. Yeah, I enjoy. Yeah, I enjoy all the things that I do, my full-time work, but also the other things that I do. Yeah. So, I love that. I yeah. just I love that. Sorry. What what are some of those other things you do? Um, well, I I have a podcast called The Rich Immigrant and that was my my response to the pandemic where a lot of people around me were losing jobs and I I felt like, man, we don't talk about money enough. And so the pandemic was what pushed me to start talking about money. I always talk about it like with my friends in a safe space because I don't want to be that person that's that's like obsessed with money. But I think money is a tool and we should, you know, I, I, I want to help people use that tool to work for them. And so I have a podcast and a blog called The Rich Immigrant where I talk about that from the perspective of an immigrant. But I also talk about just living in whatever countries you've chosen to call home. I've lived on four continents now. Um, so I talk wow. about those experiences. Um, I also have a travel blog. Um, I've been to 56 countries. Um, so I, I help, you know, people show people, um, how to travel the world, but also do well in their careers. So I enjoy those things. So I I try to spend the time doing that as well. How do you balance travel with work? (laughs) Because that 56 countries, you, you seems like you're traveling frequently. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, well, I went to the UK for work, right. And so I lived in Scotland for almost three years. And in that time I was in Europe, I traveled for work as well, but also, I mean, I, I tell everybody when I was living in Europe, I was either working or I was traveling, not much, not a lot of sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so my friends and I just, again, it's, I want to live fully. Right. So, and when I, when I, when I say talk about the fire movie, when I first heard about it, it seemed like, oh my gosh, you live in a box you get ramen and you don't enjoy your life. And I want to do both. I am adamant about living fully. Um, so I just try to take advantage of whatever it is in front of me. Of course, I have a budget. I stick to it. But yes, I, I do all these other things. And I overall, I think they help me live a full life. Well, I love it. What do you think is the biggest issue facing people today with regards to where you are? and where they aren't and how they can get to where you are? I think a lot of us can be just intimidated, right? By what's ahead. Like, like I did, like I was, I think I told you, I I froze when I thought about investing, right? It seems like this whole, this black box that nobody understands or that is only for certain people. 
And I think for me, I think that's a big, you know, that's a big deterrent for many people, right? You know, immigrants or not, it's just not understanding something. So I think just that awareness and that education, but I also think there's maybe there's a bit of shame around admitting that you don't know what you don't know. Because I think a lot of people, you know, I think the FOMO, 2020 was the year of like FOMO investing, if I ever saw one, and people were jumping right into things that they don't understand. So I think, I think, I think that can be a big deterrent is just not understanding things and jumping into it. But the other thing is just awareness, awareness. Like my sister and I have so many conversations and we talk about, man, if we knew better. Um, so I think education is also a big deterrent for people. That FOMO in investing in this last year has really been hard to watch. The, yes. the Bitcoin people who have come out and they're not investing because they believe in it. They're investing because everybody else is investing in it. And of course, that makes the price go up. Yeah. But then something happens and all of a sudden it drops like a rock. And people who didn't know what they were doing are yeah. now left holding the bag or losing large sums of money. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking to see this happen. Or yeah. the, you know, the, uh, what was the, was it GameStop? This game stop, yeah. <laughs> like drove it up and maybe the the movie theater. Yeah, AMC, um, right? AMC. Yeah. yeah. And if you can get in, watch it rise and get out, that's great. But how many people did that? How many people, you know, took the money and ran? And right. as opposed to investing money that they don't have, borrow yeah. the people were talking about borrowing money to invest in, you know, all these. This meme stuff, crazy, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. what happens? You still have to pay your loan, even though your GameStop stock went to zero or whatever it's at now. I don't know. Yeah. So I get the whole, you know. And then there's people who are watching those people do it wrong and losing money and hearing that story, just like my friend that never put any more money back in the stock market, and they're like, "Well, I'm just not going to do it anymore." Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I really like. J.L. Collins, The Simple Path to Wealth. Yes, that book yeah. is a great place to start if you don't know what you're doing. It's a simple path to wealth. He, and, and it can what seem a great boring. Name. And it can seem boring, but boring is good. You don't want to be up all night looking at your investments because you don't understand what's going on. So I, I think when it comes to investing, boring is good. Boring is That's the right. best. One percent. Very boring, but you've been to fifty-six <laughs> countries and don't sleep much. So. <laughs> and we'll great. be retired in nine years. I will be. Yes. Yeah. The best in investments are boring investments, and if you want these, you know, exciting investments, put one percent of your net worth absolutely into the exciting, sexy ones. I have. I think I have zero percent of my net worth in exciting, sexy stocks, and everything else is in boring stuff. And that's the best. The boring. The boring company. That's a Tesla reference. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk reference. I think we're ready to go to the famous four. All right, let's do it. Okay. D, it is now that part of the story where we get to the famous four questions. These are the same okay. four questions we ask of all of our guests. What Number one, what is your favorite finance book? I have a couple, right? I'll share a couple. And you mentioned one called The Simple Path to Wealth because I think that's just a great place to start. Um, I also like, I will teach you to be rich, right? And then another one that I like is Bola Shokumbi's book, right? It's a newer book. I wish she wrote it, you know, 10 years ago, um, um, Grow Your Money, right? On investing. And I, it just felt relatable to me. I felt like it was written with me, the millennial investor in mind. 
Yeah. Bola's a really great author. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Yeah, I haven't checked that out, but I'll have to go and, and pick up a copy. Yeah. What was your biggest money mistake? Oh, I shared one of those. I guess the, the 2014 putting money in freezing, that was one, right? And then the second one, though, um, was not knowing to get into the real estate market during the last recession, right? Um, I, I, and again, it was that nobody in my circle was talking about it. I was just focused on paying off my debt and putting money in that 401k, but I could have bought a starter home at the time. Um, but I, I guess, you know, you live, you learn, and you move forward. I'm going to correct you and say <laughs> that that time was a very scary time. I it have was. been investing in real estate since the late 90s, and I did not get into more rental properties during that oh. time. It was a very scary time. So I'm going to say, no, that wasn't a biggest money mistake. Okay. Because, okay. I'll take that. I mean, that was, it was the people who were able to be visionary and see in the future and, oh, this is great. Good for them. I'm glad they were able to generate a lot of wealth by yeah. doing that. But yeah. it was an incredibly scary time. Okay. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I, I think it's, um, I'll, I'll observe as well that you're, both of those are opportunity cost mistakes. Yes. And, yes. Yes. And that tells me you, you really feel like you've handled your, your, the money, your money <laughs> to the best of your ability for the most part over the years, which I think is awesome. Yeah. For, yeah. For the best part. I think there were times where I didn't, I mean, from the years that I came to America till I graduated, I mean, I used my credit card for things that sometimes I shouldn't have, but I did, I didn't know. And, you know, in, in that case, you know, you live, you learn, you move forward. Yep. You graduated with only $12,000 in credit card debt. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. D, what? what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Oh, I have a couple of pieces, right? <laughs> so sure, a couple of pieces of advice. Um, I always say this, start where you are with what you have, right? Um, a second thing is, you know, don't invest in things you don't understand. There's so much information available today. You know, there are podcasts, there are blogs, there are Instagram. So just commit to learning a bit more today than you knew yesterday. And it makes such a big difference, right? And the other thing is, you know, change your circle, right? If, you know, look at what you're following on social media, curate your feed to be what feeds you, right? Um, so if you don't have a safe space in your world, because I didn't feel like I could talk about money with my friends. If you don't have a safe at the time, now I do all the time, right? <laughs> so don't feel like you have a safe space in your world or in your circle where you can ask questions or where you wouldn't feel stupid not knowing certain things. There are communities online that will be willing to welcome you with open arms. Please find your community, right? And, and, and go ahead and, and start your journey. And don't be intimidated by the, you know, people paying off a million dollars in two days. That, that happens and that's wonderful. But there are also people that make slow progress every day and you can be a part of that. Oh, love I, it. That's like what we're, that's a, this whole community of financial independence, retire early, of, of which be bigger pockets and bigger pockets money is a small part. Like that's the whole point is to yeah. do exactly the five things you just described there. Love it. That's awesome. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? So... I'm not one to tell jokes, but I always have a travel story. So that's what I'll usually tell a travel story or two. And one that's, that's common, it's um, the time I had to pay $400 for an apple in New Zealand. And, and the story is that, you know, I bought the apple in another country, right? And I brought it back into New Zealand and they're very big on don't bring fruits and vegetables. And I totally forgot that I didn't eat the apple. The apple was actually imported to the other country from New Zealand. And so I went through security 
and they called me out. Sure enough, found the apple and they fined me 400 New Zealand dollars for an apple. I mean, you know, I like to think I'm one that can, you know, kind of just, you know, handle these things, but one little teardrop because. (laughs) (laughs) I would have cried too. And that's the biggest money mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh oh man, it still hurts every time I think about it. But yes, that's one of the stories I share. Right to your core. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, (laughs) that was awful, Scott. (laughs) They wouldn't just let you eat it right then. You know, oh, I said she was going to throw it away. I said, no, bring my apple. I'm going to eat this thing right in front of you. (laughs) You're just going to throw it out. You're going to eat it. Yeah. If you're going to throw it out, then don't find me $400. If you're going to find me $400, I'm going to eat that apple. Yeah. So I sat there, I ate it, cried. And yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's one of the travel stories I share. There are happier ones, but that was one that kind of ties in with the money topic. Yeah, and we were able to get a good old VP <laughs> money pun in as well. Yeah, there we D, go. <laughs> D, where can people find out more about you? Yes, you can find me on on the Rich Immigrant Podcast. It's on everywhere you listen to podcasts. I talk about money. I talk about living abroad and thriving whatever wherever you call home. It's also on Instagram or therichimmigrant.com. But if you're more about my travel life and my career, um, I'm at Well Worn Heels. Well Worn. Heels. Yes. Wellwornheels.com or wellwornheels on Instagram? Both. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we will link to all of this in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 223. Dee, I am so glad you were able to come and chat with us today. I just love your story. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fun conversation. You know, I yeah, love it. This is great. Thank you. Well, thank you. Okay. Thanks. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Okay, Scott, that was Dee from The Rich Immigrant. What did you think of her story? I thought it was great. I think it was, uh, uh, like, like we mentioned earlier, a, a, a pretty simple but effective path to building wealth. Um, and again, just kind of reflects on a certain set of values that she has with money that allow her to become wealthy while living what, what seems to be like an awesome lifestyle, traveling the world, seeing all the sights, and becoming wealthy at the same time. Scott, I really... I'm excited for what she's doing. I love that she took it upon herself early on to be curious about money, to continue searching. She started reading finance blogs. Oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? She went down all these rabbit holes to self-educate so that she could put herself in this amazing financial position. And yeah, she made some mistakes. The 2014 to 2018, $5,000 sitting there doing well, gaining three cents at the end of the the four years um, is better than spending that $5,000 on frivolous things. But now she has, she's learned, she's taken steps and she's educated herself a little bit more. She knows what she wants to do. She's investing now. And that's, sometimes you have to take a four-year freeze in order to really be comfortable doing all the things. And she didn't fall into the FOMO trap of last year which was so heartbreaking to watch. Um, I just think she's doing a really great job of getting the money story out there, getting the the money education component of it out there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think she's doing a, an awesome job and really fun episode today. Yep. Near the end of this show, she's mentioned that if you don't have 
a group of people to talk to about money, you should find a community. We have created a community for you. It's called the Facebook group of Bigger Pockets Money. You can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash VP money. And we would love to have you join us there and ask the questions that you're not sure about. Ask ask for advice. Ask for what would you do in this situation? And you, you might get 57 responses that are all different, but you might start to see some serious trends and patterns where everybody invests in index funds. Well, that's kind of done all the work for you. You just put your money in there and set it and forget it. Maybe you want to ask about a specific stock. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, they want to invest in a stock, but they don't want to invest in the stock. They don't want to lose money. Nobody ever wants to lose money. So ask questions and see what our lovely, amazing listeners have for advice. Sometimes they, they'll also tag me in truly terrible jokes um, as well. Yes. So apologies in advance for all of the awful jokes in the group, but to come join us anyway and talk with fellow money nerds and frugal weirdos. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 223 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying, gotta go friend, this has to end. But we can continue the conversation on Facebook. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.